Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, good to see you guys this morning. Um, hope you're having a good Easter morning so far. Like I said earlier, my name is Kent. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Um, hope you enjoyed the donuts and coffee uh, outside. If you did, if you missed those, there might still be some. You're welcome to go out there and get some now. Um, we felt like you know Easter calls for celebration in a lot of different ways, but we felt like bare minimum, way too much sugar and caffeine was one of those ways. And so hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, Hopefully you enjoy your time with us this morning. Like I said, if we can help answer any questions or anything like that, we'd love to do that. But if you have your Bible or a Bible on your phone, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, if you're newer to the Bible and don't know how to find that, you could probably just Google 1 Corinthians 15 and you would land there somehow. So feel free to do that. No shame in that at all. Uh, if you are here for the first time this morning, what we generally like to do during this time together is we just sort of open up the scriptures, we look at a passage or two, and we just talk about what that passage means exactly. And then we let the Holy Spirit kind of tell us what that passage needs to look like when implemented in into our lives, when we believe and ascribe to the realities in that passage. And so that's what we're going to do here. Uh, Nothing fancy, no smoke or mirrors, just the words of God and the Spirit of God making it active in our lives. We believe that that's kind of all we need as followers of Jesus. So we will get to 1 Corinthians 15 here in just a bit. But while you're getting there, uh, I want to just see if I can frame up our time in the scriptures this morning with a question. One question that I sort of want us to to analyze and think about for the rest of our time today. Here's the question. Is life a tragedy or a comedy? Is life a tragedy or a comedy? Now, for those of you that paid attention in grade school when you studied Shakespeare, you're with me right now. You know exactly where I'm headed. You know exactly what those two words mean. I, on the other hand, was one of the people that did not pay attention when we studied Shakespeare. So let me explain it for the rest of us so that we kind of understand what's happening here. So when it comes to literature and storylines in general, there are often two big categories that storylines or narratives fall into. There are tragedies and there are comedies. So tragedies have a storyline that is shaped something like this. That's what a tragedy looks like, the story arc of a tragedy. Now, usually in a tragedy, the story starts in an okay place, things get better for a little bit, and then they drop off significantly and end tragically by the end of the story. So, Romeo and Juliet, for instance, is a tragedy. The story starts off with the main characters meeting, their families are in conflict, they fall in love, so things get better for a little while, but then things get worse and worse until eventually they both die and never get to be together. I should have said spoiler alert, sorry. But I'm guessing if you haven't read it in the past 400 years, it's not a priority for you. So 
I feel okay about spoiling the ending of that story. But that's how the story ends. It's a tragedy at the end. Another slightly more modern tragedy would be a movie like Titanic. The story starts with Rose engaged to a guy named Billy Zane, who is a verifiably horrible person. Hopefully we were all on the same page on that. You know that because he has slicked back hair and bad guys always have slicked back hair in movies. You just immediately know what's up. She was engaged to Billy Zane, so things start off in kind of a weird place, but then Rose meets Jack, and they fall in love, and they go frolicking about the boat. Is that a safe way to say that in a church setting? They go frolicking about the boat. Things get kind of good for a little bit, and then ship meets iceberg, and it's all downhill from there, right? And the movie actually ends with... Jack dying because Rose, for some reason, did not want to share her float that was plenty big for the both of them. And so he just sort of drifts off into the cold ocean, right? Story ends tragically. That's how tragedies work. Things might, there might be bright spots for a little bit, but in the end, things get worse and worse until they all end in a tragic way. That's what tragedies are. Now, comedies, on the other hand, work in just the opposite way. Comedies look like this, the storylines do. So comedies also start in an okay place. Then there's usually a dip or a disappointment in the action of the story, but then things get steadily better and better until there's a celebration or a bow at the end of the story. So in this sense, when we use the word comedy in this way, it actually has very little to do with whether it's funny or not. Okay, so tragedies and comedies can both be funny, but comedies end on a positive note. So think about the movie Lion King. The movie starts with the birth of Simba, the whole animal kingdom rejoicing, but then Mufasa dies, Simba is exiled from the kingdom, and then Scar runs the kingdom into the ground. That's the low point of the story. But in the end, Simba returns, he defeats Scar, and he claims his rightful place as king of the animal kingdom. That's a, that's a comedy. It ends on a positive note. So if it helps, you can remember which one is which by the shape of the narrative. So a tragedy ends negatively, and it looks like a frown. A comedy ends positively, and it looks like a smile. It's kind of a good way to remember which one is which. The shape of the narrative tells you which one it is. So now that we're all on the same page, now the English Lit class is over, let me ask you again, is life itself, the story that you and I find ourselves in right now, is it a tragedy or is it a comedy? Which of those more accurately represent the experience of life in our world? Now, by asking that, I don't mean which one does your life feel like at this moment. We would all have various different answers to that, right? I'm saying, what is the story of life in general? What represents the story of life in general? Is that story more like a tragedy or more like a comedy? I think honestly, if your eyes and ears are open to the message that we receive day in and day out in our society, I think you have to conclude that life is a tragedy. If this life is all there is and there is no grander story that this all belongs inside of, that is a tragedy by any definition. Because no matter what, however incredible the life you lead on planet Earth is, you will eventually die, be buried, and be forgotten. Happy Easter. Glad you joined us this morning. 
That's where we're all headed, right? Is to the grave. That's where all of our stories end if this life is all that there is. Zero exceptions. Last I checked the stats, right around 100% of people eventually die. So that means all of us are living through a tragedy, through and through. Death means that life itself, if that's all there is, is a tragedy waiting to happen. Now, that's not to say that there aren't more positive ways to spin a tragedy, right? Because there absolutely are. You can make it sound much more optimistic in how you present that reality. So we can say things like seize the day or, or live for today or more recently YOLO. Thanks, Drake, for that one, right? We can say things like that that make it sound much more positively. Those all sound way better than you're going to die soon, but that's what they're all saying, right? You only live once, so you might as well make the best of it while you can. That's what all of these are assuming. So if we see past the marketing and the spin, you'll realize that all of those kind of outlooks towards life still operate on the premise that life is a tragedy. They're all saying that life is short and it won't be long until it's over, so do all you can to enjoy it while it lasts. If, that's, if this life is all there is and eventually nothing we do will be last, lasting or be remembered, we might as well have fun with it now. That's what all of those narratives are saying. The message is that you should make the high point of the frown as good as you possibly can because the decline will be here before you know it. So while it may sound more positive, that is a tragedy just the same, is it not? It's just a tragedy with an amazing PR department behind it. And if any of us actually believe that life is a comedy, I think usually outside of the narrative of Jesus, we actually just believe it's a cheap version of a comedy. It's that life might be bad right now, but it's only a matter of time until we get that perfect job or we meet that perfect person or we live in that perfect city or have that perfect experience and then we will live happily ever after. This is everything that Disney has taught us to believe about our lives. Our happily ever after is coming. It's right around the corner. It's just not here yet. But the reality is that even that outlook on life has quite the dark side if you think about it. Because plenty of people never get that perfect job. Plenty of people never meet that perfect person. Plenty of people never get to live in that perfect city or have that perfect experience. So when you pretend that life is the cheap version of a comedy, it often sets you up for disappointment and letdown at the fact that your life did not play out the way that you thought it would. Maybe even resentment at the fact that it didn't play out like you thought it would. I mean, this is why so many people live their lives with this deep residing sense that life has dealt them a bad hand because they believed that life was a comedy and their happily ever after never came. Or best case scenario, when you see the world this way is the cheap version of a comedy, what happens is that maybe you get the perfect job or you meet the perfect person or you move to the perfect city or you have the perfect experience, you get your happily ever after, but it's nowhere near as perfect as you imagined it being. It's not happily ever after, it's meh ever after. 
And turns out that then you start to need the next perfect job or the next perfect person or the next perfect city or next perfect experience, whatever it is. My point is that cheap comedies are not really comedies at all. They're also tragedies. It turns out that what you thought was the amazing ending of your life is actually just the top of the frown before the disappointing ending. These two can be filled with disappointment, frustration, and tragedy. So my point is that tragedy is precisely what life is if, and this is a pretty big if, if the resurrection of Jesus did not happen. And that brings us to 1 Corinthians 15. So pick it up with me in that passage, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So here's what this passage just said. If Jesus did not come back from the dead, if the resurrection is not true, then everything we do up here on Sundays is absolutely pointless. Everything that so many of you do by living out the realities of your faith and sharing your faith with your friends and coworkers and classmates and neighbors, everything that you do then is also completely pointless if there is no resurrection. And more than that, if Jesus was not raised, our very faith is in vain. If the resurrection isn't true, there is nothing lasting worth believing in at all, and life is a tragedy. You're born, you maybe have a few good years, a few good experiences, and then you die. That's it. That's the end of life. That's the story. Then Paul goes on, verse 15 of our passage. He says, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. That logic checks out, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished for good. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So Paul says that if Jesus has not risen from the grave, there are three specific tragic consequences of that reality. First, we are still in our sins. If there is no resurrection, there is no possibility that you and I will not always struggle with the things that we struggle with right now. If we are impatient and self-righteous now, we will always be impatient and self-righteous. If we are racked with shame and self-hatred, now we will always be marked by those things. If we are consumed with greed and materialism now, we will always be consumed with greed and materialism. If Jesus has not been raised, there's no chance that things will ever get better when it comes to the things that we struggle with. Tragic ending to our story. Second, if Jesus hasn't been raised, then death is the end of the story. Just like we mentioned earlier, if this life is all there is, that means that everybody's story ends at the grave. Every single person, every single human story is therefore a tragedy. And third, if Jesus hasn't been raised, we are to be pitied as followers of Jesus. Put another way, if, if what we call our faith in Jesus is just something we cling to periodically to get through the day, if it's more just about positivity and, and reassurance than it is a historical event to base our lives on, 
then everyone around us should pity us as followers of Jesus. Because that means that our story is a tragedy just like everyone else's. We're just living in denial about it. So there we have it. If Jesus has not been raised, if there is no resurrection, that's the situation we're left with. A tragedy by anybody's definition. But my dear friends, I have good news for us this morning. Christ has been raised from the dead. I'm going to say that again because I don't think everyone heard it. I have good news for you. Christ has been raised from the dead. So Paul continues in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So here's the story of the Bible in about two minutes. Don't time me on that. Sometimes I go a little bit longer than two minutes. But two minutes, I think, the story of the Bible is this. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, turned life into a tragedy for all of us. God made humanity to live forever with him in a world with no sin, no pain, no death, and no tragedy. But they made the choice, Adam and Eve made the choice, in essence, that we all make on a regular basis, and that is to live life independently from God and choose to define good and evil for ourselves. That's the decision that they made. That's the decision that we make every single day of our lives. And that is what started the downtick in the storyline for all of us. But as the story declined, God set into motion a plan to change all of that. A plan that had been underway since the foundations of the world and the culmination of that plan was sending a man who in reality was God to turn the whole thing around. Philippians 2, talking about this very plan, says it this way. It says that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So catch this. God's plan to reverse the tragedy of life in this world was to endure tragedy himself. That was part of the plan. God's plan did not involve him remaining distant and detached from the tragedy of this world. Some religions teach that. Some religious traditions teach that the only way to endure the tragedy of this life is to try to remain above it as best you can, to remain distant and detached, to empty your life of all desire and all longings so that maybe tragedy won't affect you the way that affects others. But listen, tragedy comes for all of us. So that's not the perspective of the Bible. For God, this plan involved he himself putting on flesh and blood and entering into our tragedy. He writes himself into the storyline, not just to experience the tragedy with us, but to be on the receiving end of the very worst parts of it. He became subject to all of that, to the point of death, experiencing the tragedy that all of us were headed towards. And then he experiences not just any death, but death on a cross, one of the most devastating, painful deaths imaginable. 
Jesus entered into our tragedy and experienced it to the full, and his life, too, seemed like it ended in tragedy. Or so we thought. You see, if that's where the story ended, the message would be that life is indeed a tragedy and nobody gets out of it unscathed, even Jesus. That tragedy comes for everybody, including him. That would have been the story. But that's not where the story ends. Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, says it this way in Acts 2, and I love the way he phrases this. He says that God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible for him to be held by it. So Jesus' story does not end in a tragedy, it ends in a resurrection. Three days after his death, a group of his disciples went to visit his tomb where they thought they would find Jesus' dead body only to find that tomb empty. The pangs of death and tragedy had been loosened because it was not possible for them to hold Jesus down. As it turned out, what we thought was Jesus' tragic ending turned out to be just the low point of the smile. And the point that the scriptures make repeatedly is that because death was not the end of Jesus' story, it doesn't have to be the end of our story either. Back in 1 Corinthians 15, it said that Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. In other words, what was so significant about Jesus' resurrection was not actually that it was the only resurrection to ever happen. What was significant about Jesus' resurrection is that it was the first of many to come. The story of the Bible is that Jesus' resurrection was a big deal precisely because it made our resurrection possible, all those of us who belong to Jesus. The story of the Bible, you see, is not that all of us will somehow be sucked up into heaven before things get really bad. The story of the Bible is that we will reign forever with Jesus on a new heavens and a new earth. A world that is remade to be everything that he intended it to be all along. So for us too, death is just the low point of the smile. So the true story of the world is a comedy. It's a beautiful story with the best possible ending. It's a narrative that closes with the only good guy ever winning and bringing anyone who wants to come along in his victory. It's him proclaiming with confidence that every sad thing will one day become untrue and that every heartache will be forever forgotten. It's a story that ends with him wiping every tear from every eye and proclaiming that sin, death, and injustice are forever defeated and have been robbed forever of their power. So follow me here. For followers of Jesus, life itself is not a tragedy. It's not that death and evil win in the end, but it's also not naivety. It's not the short-sighted belief that a new job or a new relationship or a new city will fix what is broken in our souls. It's not a cheap comedy. For followers of Jesus, it's the belief that though evil and injustice exist now, that is a temporary reality. It's not the final outcome. The true story is that though darkness and brokenness may wreak havoc right now, that they cannot and will not reign forever because we are citizens of a new world, we are participants in a new reality, 
and a new ending, one that changes the entire trajectory of the present. That is the difference that a resurrection makes. You see, if you belong to the kingdom of God, that means that right now is the worst that life will ever get. This is the low point in the story. But you happen to know that the injustice now will not be our reality forever. The sin now will not be our reality forever. And the brokenness now is about to be made whole. Jesus saw to it that that was a fact. And even all of the good things that we experience now, I know it's not all bad for a lot of us, all of the good things that we experience now are simply previews of the world to come. Every incredible friendship, every life-giving conversation, every good gift from God, every genuinely loving relationship, all of those and more are just simply a taste of what the new heavens and the new earth are gonna be like one day. So this is what we say every single Easter. I will probably continue to say it every single Easter until I die. Listen, the hope that we are given in the scriptures is not just some sort of vaguely positive feeling about the future. That's not what the Bible means when it talks about hope. It's not the same thing as crossing our fingers that life will get better, maybe, uh, hope is not a glorified version of wishing that the weather is sunny tomorrow or that the Vols finally learn how to play football again because the Lord knows neither of those things in Knoxville are guarantees right now, right? That's not what hope means in the scriptures. It isn't just closing your eyes to the brokenness of the world and hoping and wishing and, and maybe one day it'll get better if I just can be positive enough. That doesn't work. The hope that we are given in the scriptures is a certainty that God will one day make all things new. We know it for a fact and that he has begun that process now through the resurrection of Jesus. That's what we talk about when we use the word hope. The resurrection of Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection of all things and that is precisely where we set our hope as God's people. So here's where we'll end the story this morning. I just wanna ask you one simple question. I, I think it's simple enough for you to answer. The question I have for you is, are you a part of that story? I, I know, I, I realize that for some people in the room, the story of a God-turned man who comes back from the dead is somewhat hard to swallow. I get that. That's kind of the point, right? Is that it was unexpected, that it's different than what most things you would expect are. So I, I get that that can be a difficult thing to wrestle with. I get that that can be a difficult thing to get on board with. And I want you to know there are plenty of books, plenty of podcasts, plenty of things to read and listen to out there that can help you answer those questions, that can help you understand how it is reasonable and it is rational to believe those things. And so if you've got questions about that or that's difficult for you, come talk to me. I would love to point you to some of those resources. It might be immensely helpful to you for where you're at. But today, I, I just want to ask the question, don't we want that story to be true? Don't we want it to be that death and pain and injustice are not the end of the story? 
Don't we want there to be something more than a few good years and a few good experiences before we die? I would argue there is something within each one of us that longs for the story of the resurrection to be true, that wants life to turn out to be a comedy and not a tragedy. And what I'm here today to tell you if you don't hear anything else I say, what I'm here today to tell you is that those desires, those longings were put in you by a God that made you to live for something more. C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, I must conclude that I was made for a different world. And what I'm here to tell you is that that world is coming. It's on the horizon and Jesus set it into motion through the resurrection. And we get to live in the reality that that story will be our reality and that it's started now. Your story does not end in tragedy. However tragic your life has been, listen, I know in a room this size, we have some real tragedies that have happened to so many people. I can't imagine what you've been through. I can't imagine what you're going through right now. I don't even pretend to know. But what I'm telling you is that your story does not end in tragedy precisely because his didn't. He rose three days later and he now extends the invitation to you and I, every single person in this room, anyone who would accept it, he rose and he extends the invitation to you, will you rise with me? You see, the death, the shame, and the tragedy in our world are very much real, but they do not have to be final. He has set a story in motion that is so much better than anything you and I could imagine. If I could tell you the stories of people in this community that have been through unimaginable hurt, unimaginable suffering, and who have found purpose and life in Jesus and have realized that that wasn't the end of your story, it would bring tears to your eyes, I believe, whether you follow Jesus or not. Because that's what the good news of the gospel is capable of doing. And his invitation to you and I is simple. Join the story and find real, lasting hope. So if you're here today and and you think you might want to be a part of that story, maybe for the very first time, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand or walk the aisle or say some sort of prayer after me. I'm not gonna do any of that. I know that can be uncomfortable. I will just tell you this. There are countless people in this room and in this community of Jesus followers that would love to walk with you as you take your next steps towards Jesus. They would love nothing more. So talk to the person you came with today. If you came with somebody and tell them you want to know what that might look like. Talk to someone in your life that you know follows Jesus and tell them you want to know what that might look like. If you don't have anybody, if you showed up alone here today and you don't have anybody to talk to, come talk to me, come talk to the people on this stage, come talk to anybody with a city church lanyard on. We would love nothing more than to explain to you and help you walk through what that looks like. And and I just, before we end, I I just wanna say this, didn't say this in the nine, but I, I feel like it might be true in the room right now. Um, I feel like there might be people in this room, somewhat just because of the region of the country that we live in, and so many people have a church background. I feel like there might be people in the room right now that uh, grew up around the church, 
that spent a lot of time trying to be other people's version of what a follower of Jesus looked like. And you just felt like you couldn't cut it. Couldn't act the right way, you couldn't use the right words. You couldn't be good enough, couldn't make them happy. And maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're now just wondering if any of that had any validity to it because there were just so many destructive elements about it and so many unhelpful things being thought and said and communicated to you. And you're about ready to abandon it all. Just decide it's got nothing for you. And I feel like Jesus might be saying this morning, uh, your story doesn't end in that kind of tragedy either. I think he wants to say to somebody, maybe a group of people, I don't know. I feel like he wants to say to a lot of people that what happened in that setting that was so destructive, that was so harmful, that was just the low point of the smile. And that he's got more in store for you. He's got more of your story to write and he wants to write it with you. And so I don't, I don't know if that's for anybody in this room. Maybe it's for somebody watching online. I have no idea, but I just felt like, I feel like God wanted me to say that. If you're ready to give up because you believe in the goodness that you see in the scriptures, you believe in who Jesus is and you believe in what he's about, but you've just seen so many bad representations of it. I feel like he might wanna say to you today that he's in the process of showing you something better. And I don't know if he wants to use this community to do it, he might use a different community to do it, he might use a friend of yours that just faithfully follows Jesus and is in friendship with you, I don't know what it is. But if that's you, I, I, I would love, um, I would love for you to consider that this morning and take that with you. Come talk to me afterwards if you feel like maybe that was, was God trying to communicate that to you. I'd love to walk you through what that might look like. But all that to say, the invitation is simple. Join the story and find hope. We're gonna take some time before we're done to just celebrate the reality of the resurrection. We're gonna sing about how good that is and what all of its implications are for us and how we live and how we think and how we act. If we can help out with anything, let us know. If we can answer any questions, let us know. But I pray that this morning your heart can be set on the good news of the resurrection and I pray that it changes you forever. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your good news. Thank you that um, you've sent Jesus uh, to be what we could never be. That you sent Jesus to to somehow um, rescue us out of what was sure destruction and sure tragedy. God, thank you that you set that plan into motion before the foundation of the world. God, thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. And you knew from the very beginning that we would need a savior. And you gave us exactly that. In every way that we needed it and in so many ways that we could never imagine. So God, if there are people right now in this room that... um, 
they think somehow they're beyond that, that they've run too far, they've gone too far, they've done too many things, that you wouldn't be interested in entering into their story. God, I just, I pray that they would hear that the entire narrative of the Bible tells us that's not true. There's no situation too broken, too far gone for you to rescue and redeem and set right. God, for others of us in the room that maybe we just don't think we need it. We think we're capable on our own. We think we can write our own story, make it a comedy, make it good, make it end well. God, I pray for reality to set in that the only true positive ending to the story is found in your resurrection and the plan that you set into motion from eternity's past. And God, I pray that many of us buy into that story and attach ourselves to that story maybe for the first time this morning. God, thank you that you make all of that possible through your son, Jesus, that you did what we could never do, that you made right what we could never make right, and that you showed us that death is not the end of the story, that sin is not the end of the story. So God, would you help that truth resonate in our souls? Would you help it to be not just something we believe, not just something we mentally assent to, but something that makes its way into our actions and our thoughts and our approach towards life in general? God, would you make us resurrection people who live in light of the reality that you've made possible? That's our prayer. Would you fill us with your spirit to make that true? We ask this in your name, for your glory, for our good. Amen.